Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. In Nova Scotia, points a finger toward the RCMP and challenges directly how the force handled the situation. Now, interestingly, the RCMP union president told the Globe and Mail the police response was textbook. But on Thursday, CBC Halifax reported on Nova Scotia's RCMP tactical unit boss, Tim Mills, quitting the force six months after the mass murders, saying the abuse inflicted by his employer, and abuse was, in quotes, was far worse than the, quote, war zone his officers experienced during the mass shootings. We've talked to Paul Palango in the past again. His book, 22 Murders, is out on uh, Tuesday. There's an excerpt from the book in uh, the National Post today. So, Paul, uh, let's do this before we get into some of the other issues here. When you set out to write the book, what were your expectations, and how did they change as you researched, if they did? Well, when I started out, you know, like I didn't want to write a book, which I lay out the reasons in the book. And then when I started writing it, uh, you know, when I first, well, when I first got the contract from Random House, uh, Craig Payette, the editor, said, "How far along you're on the story?" Like, I said, "60 percent." How how far are you going to be when it's finished? Ninety ninety five. Uh, on understanding what's happened, and that's roughly what happens. What I set out to do was tell the most complete possible story I can about what was going on, because nobody else was doing that. Uh, the media, the government, the police were not revealing any details, and I thought it was important to get as much detail as possible out there, because I suspected that the public inquiry that would be called would try to hide a lot of this stuff or, or obfuscate a lot of stuff. And even that um, has come true. Because Parker Dunham has a piece in the National Post today, along with my excerpt, where he talks about exactly that thing about the inquiries. He calls it a hot mess that, uh, you know, is not doing a job, doing the job. Okay, it should you, do. Said, you said early on, fairly early on, I think, that this inquiry will result in a using your quote here, comfortable truth for all engaged. So if I look at that, and I look at the questions that you've asked on this program and elsewhere, and and, and I consider what uh, the president of the uh, police union told the Globe and Mail, that what the police response was textbook, and yet we have the um, command officer for the Nova Scotia RCMP tactical team leaving the force in frustration, according to CBC News in Halifax, six months after responding to the mass shooting, telling uh, lawyers for the public inquiry the abuse inflicted by his employer was worse than the war zone his team faced. Put that together for us. Well, absolutely. I mean, what we see in this, Roy, is this exactly what, you know, on this particular issue, exactly what I predicted would happen, and I could see was happening, that the mainstream media was only writing about official from official sources point of view. So you have this curious story on April 4th in the Globe and Mail by Greg Mercer quoting the police union uh, boss uh, Sove saying um, Brian Sove saying that uh, everything was went textbook. Then you have Tim Mills coming out um, saying that no it wasn't textbook and then yesterday um, 18 charges I revealed, I, I got the document showing that 18 charges have been laid under the Labor Code, which basically open up showing just how chaotic things were, how, how the Mounties were completely inept 
And it raises serious questions about the force before, during, and after this, like what was going on. And you have to wonder, why did the Globe and Mail write a story saying that it was a textbook uh, uh, police operation when it was anything but? Tim Mills, now the 18 charges revealed yesterday. I don't know what the Globe and Mail does. I just give them credit when I quote one of their stories. Uh, but you expressed early on again concerns, and so did the lawyers for the families, concerned about the interest of the families of the deceased and how they were being represented uh, in the inquiry. Is that still a concern, Paul? Oh, absolutely. The the families, like, uh, you know, the government and the police, and, and, and supported by a large part of the media, said this is going to be a, a trauma-informed uh, thing, uh, event, and this inquiry was not going to upset anyone or not try to upset anyone. And this has been used as a cover not to tell the story. And it's turned out to be more traumatic for the families because, A, they, the most traumatic thing was having their loved ones lost. And now you have all this obfuscation and pretend transparency going on that is just aggravating the hell of them. I, you know, I had to sit down with a couple of the family members the other day in Halifax, and they're just like beside themselves about this obvious obfuscation going on that they're playing games. And Parker Dunham, read the piece by Parker Dunham today. It sets it up perfectly. It tells you what's going on. Okay, now let me come back to the uh, the point of the tactical team leader, the RCMP in Nova Scotia, leaving the force six months after the shooting and saying, according again to the report, that uh, the abuse inflicted by his employer was worse than the war zone his team faced during the April 2020 massacre. Context, please. Well... What Mills says, and it's backed up the next day by this report from uh, um, the government investigators, that they had poor equipment, they had no GPS capabilities, they didn't know who was who in this. So this guy is dressed up, Wortman is dressed up as a policeman in a police car. They couldn't tell the real policeman from Wortman, and likely Wortman just drove past them. They had outmoded equipment, poor communications, uh, Radio transmissions on their encrypted lines uh, got jammed up and broken down, so they started using unencrypted lines. They were operating on different systems at the same time. It was, and all of this stuff was not just accidental. It had been pointed out in previous, uh, after previous incidents where Mounties were killed in Mayor Thorpe, Spiritwood, and Moncton, improvements had to be made. The, Monk, the, the Mounties said, aye, aye, we're going to do it, and never did a goddamn thing. Nothing. So their own members were exposed all the way through this. And at the end of the day, Mills, uh, you know, is totally, he wrote, he wrote a report, I understand, for the internal use of the RCMP, how to improve things. And instead, they ignored him, said they didn't want to hear it, uh, ridiculed him, and uh, eventually forced him into retirement. And he was a guy who was right there. I've heard the radio tapes. He was right there in the middle of the night. He he discovered the bodies of Corey Ellison and Lisa McCauley on Orchard Beach Drive out in, the, out in the cold, but it was just complete chaos. And the last part of it is Mills is a corporal, and that no white shirt, nobody above inspector got involved in this at any point over the 13 and a half hours. And so if you remember the original press conferences where the RCMP said, RCMP Chief Superintendent Chris Leather said, Oh, we, if we had to do this again, we would do it exactly the same way we did it. Well, he didn't know what was going on. He wasn't there, and nobody else under him was there. Just, just the rank and file were there, and those are the vic- no, they're some of the victims of this thing. 
So let me ask you, the, uh, and you were a journalist, you were an investigative reporter for many years, you probably still are. Um, the most fundamental journalistic question is why? Why are they doing this? Why is who doing it? Why, why is this situation as muddy as it is? Well, part of it, like in the book, the title of the book, you know, refers to obstacles to justice in Nova Scotia. What those obstacles are, as I describe them in the book and I show them in the book, is how, you know, it's it's a, a snapshot. The book is a snapshot of society as it exists now, the government, police, journalism and the public. And what we have is sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, politically correct or woke sort of politics affecting the ability for journalists and the police to do a proper investigation. There, there's too much privacy, too much politics. Uh, you know, I wanted to write about certain things that I describe in the book, and I had other journalists telling me, oh, you can't write about that. You know, you're going to have a horde of people march on your house. And this crazy sort of fear that exists. So nobody was doing anything. So this story two years down the road is coming fresh to a lot of ears, mainly because the mass the mass media never covered it. They ignored it for all these political reasons. And that's one of the things I attack in this story. So it look, may look like a true crime story, but really it's a story about society and politics. You always find out more as time goes by. What, what, what troubled me, and I, only, I have to end it here, Paul, but what troubled me right from the very beginning is that initially the, this wasn't going to be a, a public inquiry. This was going to be a behind-closed-doors investigation no public participation or witnessing taking place that to me was a major major red light well absolutely that's you know they appointed three commissioners uh one of them was a retired judge who was involved in a a, a court case that was essentially he for the premier of nova scotia that he he managed to get exonerated in an incredible situation mm-hmm. another commissioner was a former police chief, but whose father was a Mountie who was serving at the time on the management advisory board of the RCMP and is part of the Canadian intelligence, police intelligence community. How neutral is that person conducting this inquiry? And the third person who was appointed to run the inquiry doesn't believe inquiries should investigate, but they should be um, um, mechanisms for social engineering to change society. Okay. We want to get to the bottom of this and hold people accountable, not only in the police, but in government itself, who have overseen many of the problems that exist in the police and the politicization okay. of police. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.